to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Priya Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hello, hello, podcast listeners. It's Ria Wong with you once again, Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I'm with my friend, Sydney Henriquez. Payne, hello. Hello. So nice to have you on the pod, Sydney. So Sydney is an independent consultant right now, but is an expert in both talent management, DEI, and organizational change. And so today, we're going to talk about all the things. So welcome, Sydney. I am so excited. So Sydney, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you got your start. Great. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. A little about me. I am a bilingual, multiracial, Afro-Latinx woman working in social impact. So there are not that many of me. I'm a native Washingtonian and based in Brooklyn now, but I've been working in human capital for the past decade or so on all things related to people. Yeah. So that's everything from like recruitment and selection to organizational change management, culture building, DEI. And I started out in student recruitment, of all things. Mm-hmm. Me too. Really? I see. I didn't even know that. Charter management organization, like recruitment, really working in support of like finding students and families. And mm-hmm. then transitioned into like working across the country for a national nonprofit doing grassroots recruitment for teachers and partnership work. And that led to going in-house at a local education agency and then later doing policy and HR turnarounds for other high school districts at the state level. So. Mm-hmm. Super like random trajectory before then going in-house as an HR business partner. And that's really where I started doing full suite HR and DEI work and later became a chief of staff for a national education organization that ran a young person-centered nonprofit and a for-profit startup focused on social impact before launching into my own private consultancy full-time, and that's called Bridge and Ladder. I often feel with nonprofit clients, I mean, I work exclusively with nonprofits, not really corporate, but it's always like the people issues, right? The people problems trip everyone up. And so I'm just wondering, like, what is it that you love about the people? Oh my, what don't I love about the people? I have a love-hate relationship with people, right? They are my joy. And I'm a believer that people are the way that all things get done, right? You can have great strategy, but if you don't have the right humans to make the thing go, it's not going to work. And so I love really getting to understand the people who are on a team, like what lights them up, what motivates them and what their superpowers are so that you can really work from an organizational design lens to like pull all the people in the right seats Mm -hmm. and really amplify those superpowers and make sure that they complement one another so that people are happy doing the work that they're doing and people are happy and are able to like maximize their strengths in their work. You're going to have such a better product at the end of the day. And that's really the exciting like the crux of my my happiness as an like a consultant working on a project, I get to see the, that end result. Yeah, actually, I'm reading a book right now. You might be interested in called "The Nine Lies About Work." I'll put it in the show notes, but it's about exactly this point around human capital and the ways in which we've traditionally thought about human capital yeah. in the wrong ways, and instead shifting from like this top down autocratic approach to like really identifying the particular and unique skills of your individual team members and creating context for them to shine in their particular superhero power. But let me ask you this, because I think this is something that comes up a lot where in the nonprofit space, we like so deeply believe in people and we see their potential. And what is to you that balance point between 
wanting to invest in a person's potential and then and maybe having to cut them loose when it's clear that they're not able to further the the mission of the organization. Yeah, I think that there are some really important foundational work that organizations have to do up front to understand who they are as an organization and what they have in terms of resources to invest in folks and build mm-hmm. in before even opening the door to recruiting folks that may need things. And so what I mean by that is, if you are a scrappy startup organization and you have very limited resources, you have a few really strong, smart generalists on your team and maybe an expert or two, you may not have as much capacity to hire like specialists because you don't have a huge budget. But you might have like wiggle room in-house with that expert or two to hire people that are other smart generalists who want to cultivate a skill set or build out an area of expertise. If you can dedicate time and attention to doing that cultivation work in-house, you should do it. If you know you do not have the time or attention to cultivate talent in-house, don't work in support of hiring junior staff that need that support. Right. Mm -hmm. And growing yourself as an organization will help you find that balance. That's also going to work in service of the people that you're hiring because it's about that personal experience as well for the person who's on your team. That for me is really the balance of like knowing yourself as an organization, what resources you have and what time you can dedicate to the growth and development of another person. Though you should be doing growth and development, even if you have limited resources and that doesn't. So growth and development can look like lots of different things. Because I think I tend to work with a lot of founders and a lot of early stage nonprofits. And I think the challenge is that often, especially founders and first time EDs, like don't know what they don't know. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you might recommend to help them get perspective around understanding their resources and their assets? I really think very much so as a, like a strategic planner. So the chief of staff and me comes out. And so starting with like being really clear on what your organizational mission and vision is, is very important. Now, that feels like, okay, Sydney, I know, I'm, I'm clear, I'm new to this work, but like, at the end of the day, so often, you find that people are not going back to that original mission and vision to then use it as the basis or foundation for all of the other planning that they're doing. So making sure that their strategy really rolls up to their mission, to their vision, making sure that their headcount planning is right size to really support that mission, that vision, and the strategy that has been set forth. And those things and those feed their budget also, right? Those things are going to naturally align. And so if you're really clear on what you're setting out to do when you're working to do it and how, you can make everything else, you know, really fit in a way that is going to be streamlined and effective. And it's also going to promote really positive like culture internally because people are going to be clear on what they're doing, how they're expected to do it, and by when. And what supports exist or don't exist for them to do it. So it'll get people asking the right questions. So if you're new, you don't know what you don't know. By being really clear about those key foundational things, your community of folks are going to start asking you the right questions that get you to those answers if you can't get there alone. Mm, I love that. So tell me a little bit about how you would define culture. I know we're going a little bit off script here, but I've been doing a lot of thinking recently and done some interviews with folks who do organizational culture, change and transformation. I'm just curious, how would you define culture? Yeah. When I think about culture, it's often the things that you do not have to name to know. Okay. So you walk into an organization and it's how the space feels, 
how the even space works and the flow of the space, how people operate within that space. And then outside of those large groups or the organization as a whole, what the one-to-one social, like cultural mores or norms are that dictate how work operates right, within an organization. And so that has environmental factors that are physical. We talked a little bit about flow, or I mentioned flow. It has really the unspoken things about what the expectations are in terms of how people communicate and how they interact with each other. And that could be everything from like, do you say hello in the morning in the kitchen at 9 a.m. before coffee has been had? Or do you actually send an email versus a Slack or pass somebody's desk and try to ask them a question if you're really trying to get something done? Mm-hmm. All of those things really work in support of shaping organizational culture. And all of those things have impact on the work. Mm-hmm. So I think what's tough, and as somebody who was a leader and tried to engineer cultural shift, not entirely successfully, I would say, what do you think are kind of the building blocks or foundations for effective culture change? Because I think culture is like a thing that we're all talking, like culture, like healthy culture, organizational safety, psychological safety. But I also, I think... It's been my experience that culture is kind of read only, and it's the underpinnings of the the structures that dictate culture. And I'm wondering, do you have any tips or tricks around how you start to shift the culture? Yeah, I think this is such an excellent question. So thank you. I think, you know, as a senior leader, teams really are looking to you to be very clear about what change you hope to make and why you're hoping to make it. So if changes are like coming, being really sure first on what your why is as a senior leader and ensuring those things are data-driven and that data comes from a wide variety of sources, specifically a wide variety of stakeholders and ensuring you've taken the time to hold space for the people whose voices are probably the most impacted by those changes and amplifying voices that are typically going to get overlooked is such a really important first step and really working towards making change and also minimizing the impact of that change, right? Change can be like really high impact in a positive way, but there are also potential negative implications of change because people really don't like change. And we're as humans psychologically wired in such a way that we want to just like understand what's happening so that we feel like we are going with the change and that Mm -hmm. change is happening to Mm -hmm. us. And we can talk about customer-centered design and participatory design all day. So I won't take us down that rabbit hole just yet. But I think in addition to like naming the change and why and the how, it's really important to ensure that you know, each stakeholder group has an understanding really clearly on like how that impacts their work. And even the organizational mission, if it's going to impact the organizational mission too, right? If at all. And if you can, sharing timeline and being consistent about communication is going to be vital to the success as well. And that's communication about what you know, what you don't know, what you hope to learn, and when you anticipate you'll have updates. And even if you don't know the answer, being able to create space to say, like, I don't know this, like, let's talk about this, often really valuable is to, like, for senior leaders as well, to kind of, like, create that space and exhibit some vulnerable leadership. Like, here are the things I'm thinking about. Here are the pieces that I've, like, started to play with as, like, evidence that are, like, pushing me this way or that way and playing that, what I call brain basketball, mm-hmm. is really important and can be a really great place to also build trust. So I tell people all the time, like buy-in truly helps change actually happen naturally. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, layers of accountability are going to further support movement and progress against those chains, but you can't do anything if you don't have trust. Mm -hmm. Buy-in really comes from trust and people are going to actualize your vision if they trust you. Yeah. Do you think 
again, really, I'm not millennial bashing, but I'm just wondering if you feel like younger folks like millennials and now Gen Z coming into the workforce are, are forcing some of these changes? You know, hard to say, because sometimes I think, you know, while there's definitely generational ideas that, or generations that have put a stamp on idea to say, this is a millennial idea, or this is a Gen Z idea. I often think it's just people better understanding what the constraints are, design constraints are for the the function of work right now. Mm -hmm. We've been talking a lot about the future of work and how work is changing. With those changes come new like norms that are going to be important to actually make that work effective and efficient. The ops professional in me is like really excited about figuring out how things work and maximizing like the way work has changed to work for the people that are in the workforce right now. First, the chicken or the egg. So I'm wondering if we can switch this a little bit because I, I, luckily it's my podcast, so I feel like I get to use this as a a post-mortem therapy session. (laughs) But one thing I'm really challenged with, and I wonder if it's something you've noticed and or have ideas about, which is in the social impact, social, social justice space, you know, I think obviously we attract people who are very, very passionate about change and social issues. And I also think sort of culturally and socially, we're in a moment where everything feels so raw and so, you know, elevated in a lot of ways. Like we're we're under like much more stress and pressure than we used to be. And therefore, I don't know, I, I guess my question is like, have, is that something that you've noticed within organizations? And if so, like, how do we as leaders navigate that space in a way that is both productive and also sensitive to a lot of other stuff happening in the ether? Yeah. Stuff happening in the ether definitely affects things within your organizational bubble. And that I think is important to recognize and know. I tell a lot of my coaching clients all the time, like you are not a robot, right? Like the things that actually impact you as a person are going to like carry into your work some days. And it's because you're a human and that's okay. And I think, you know, we've been talking about organizational culture here, creating a culture where it's okay to have conversations about things that are happening in the world and in the ether outside of the day-to-day work and how those things may be impacting your employees, your team members, or the organizational mission. Because in some cases there are like direct or indirect implications, especially in the nonprofit work that we do to that is really important and can be really special, especially if it's employee driven. So that can be anything from, you know, building in updates in your organization's town hall about how senior leadership may be thinking about something or being getting involved in a a sensitive issue of the time. It could be creating separate and individual spaces for affinity groups to come together or employee resource groups to have conversations that might directly impact a specific group or community and creating that space. You know, I've launched several affinity groups within organizations, both as a consultant and then in-house. Those things are really special and they're different. The needs are different for each organization. Really understanding from your team what their needs are and working to create the entities or spaces that they need is really going to be your best bet. But I do think it's important to, as a senior leadership team, acknowledge like the things that, that are happening in the world and what the perspective of the organization is that you sit within on those things. Being really clear about where you sit, how you plug in is going to be fundamental to people's ability to trust you to see you as leaders who are human and to humanize the work. 
right? Like so often, especially if you're a larger organization or you have less access to your staff day to day through layers, it's really important to be able to have real conversations with your team. And even just bringing up things and how they like personally impacted you or what you're thinking about or the fact that an organization is taking a stance on a thing can be really meaningful. Can we switch a little bit now to the question of DEI? Because this is a hot, hot topic and I know that you are an expert. So I always tell people, I was like, I am not an expert. I am on a learning journey with everyone else, but am a nerd in trying to figure out how do we work in support of amplifying DEI and integrating it into the work? And so it is definitely a work stream I'm focused on. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, I think it's emerging and all of us are, as you say, on this learning journey. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what does it mean to you for an organization to center DEI? The thing that is hardest for people to understand often is that diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a separate, a work stream that is separate and apart from the work if Mm -hmm. your organization is truly centered on DEI. DEI is not something that is a lens that is being applied. It is something that is already integrated into the way that you're functioning as an organization. And that starts to literally be something that people don't name as separate and apart because it's just the way that your organization approaches the work. And that is, that's kind of that inclusion, right? Of that core principle, that integration is, is truly when your organization is centered. Mm -hmm. And so how would you recommend that folks start to do that because I think, you know, back in the, let's call it the 90s or the 2000s, you know, it was like diversity and then we're going to have like a little diversity thing on the like side here. And then it's going to be comprised of like the three people of color that we have on staff. And I think, you know, as a, as a society, we have understood the need and necessity for DEI to come to the center and to integrate. But I think we're, we're, we're still really struggling through like, well, how do we, Yeah. Sure. So let's start with some things that I think are relatively simple. They feel like check boxes, right? Yep. And sometimes you have to start there. And I, I tell folks all the time, within organizations, there are often varying levels of understanding. Let's call it wokeness, mm-hmm. shall we? The ability to be articulate around, you know, how or fluent on how to actually implement diversity, equity, and inclusion principles into day-to-day work. And so I often will start with like, here's some checkbox things to just check to see. Mm-hmm. Are you these things, then we can assess how you're doing them because you might be doing them, but not be doing them well. And then that we can go from there. So I think you can start with things like being transparent about organizational strategy and ideal outcomes, as well as the progress against your goals. Again, that sounds like, okay, I should be doing this already, but some organizations often are making shifts and changes in their strategy and not necessarily articulating when those shifts and changes are happening, which makes, which makes it such that the team isn't really clear on where they are, or where they're going, so they're not just naturally set up for success. As a nonprofit, making board agenda and minutes transparent or accessible to your team or sharing high-level challenges and considerations an organization is making as a part of organizational transparency is also really valuable so that people know what's happening, especially when it comes to challenges. I mean, it's so valuable for people to be able to have the information that they need in order to navigate their work streams and also think about their livelihoods as a member of the organization or the team. 
And then, you know, creating space for people to provide feedback and have open lines of communication with senior leadership to ask questions goes a really long way as well. So thinking about, you know, how do we actually make this an inclusive decision-making process? How do we ensure that people have the opportunity to give feedback and actually influence decision-makers if not have a seat at the decision-making table? Mm-hmm. That could be office hours, town halls, and I mentioned this building trust really goes a long way. And so those you know, those can be informal spaces too. That can be as simple as senior leaders showing up to participate in whatever the organizational employee engagement events are to build relationships. Because I always encourage anyone, like, ask how is DEI being applied to my work, my team's work, and our organization actively? Revisiting those questions can push you and your team to integrate DEI into the work. So it becomes a work instead of being separate. Let me ask you about this because I think DEI and sort of the wokeness, if you will, among staff felt much easier to do than with my board. And I would imagine with a lot of boards, right? And so I think that there there's this belief that I don't necessarily think is true, that there's a trade-off between diversity and being able to attract people with significant resources to help support the organization. Beyond that, I do think that there are some challenges, whether it's generational in many cases, about how do you really push these conversations with board members who you know, really come from a different space or a different mindset or a different you know, socioeconomic background or racial background to really bridge the gap between you know, the folks on the ground doing the work and the folks at the table who are helping to resource the work? Ooh, like if I could, this is a conversation for a whole separate <laughs> yeah, Well, we, we can have that. About, to, to talk about boards and philanthropy, and I would encourage if people have not read Decolonizing Wealth to go pick it up. I do think the challenge is real, especially if you've had you know, a board that has been in place for a very long time to approach diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. And it obviously depends on who your board is and whether or not there was a standard when they joined the board to begin to have these conversations as a part of their board service. And that goes for longstanding staff members as well. It's not just a board action item or something that's a challenge or a difficulty. Some people have begun a job they're really excited about their work. Maybe they've been in their organization since its start, especially if it's an early stages nonprofit, or maybe they've been there for 10 or 15 years if it's been a longstanding nonprofit and this was not a part of their job before and it's being introduced as a new part of what they're supposed to do day to day as a part of their like actual role. And that can be daunting. It can also be like really challenging if they are not necessarily in alignment with where the organization is going. And I think senior leadership has to make a decision about how they feel about there being potential staff transitions or board transitions based upon an organization's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion if there isn't alignment there. So that's important. Now, hopefully, everybody is on their own learning journey, is excited to better understand what DEI means, how it's directly in alignment with the organization's mission and vision, and to support their growth and development around this and embrace something that they didn't really know about and that the organization is prepared to have those conversations to support them in that learning journey so that we can all go through that together and meet people where they are. That doesn't mean creating safe spaces. It means having courageous conversations and really pushing on issues, but being really clear on what diversity, equity, and inclusion means to the organization, how it's going to be a value add to the organization's mission and vision, and what the ultimate like 
milestones and deliverables are that the organization is dedicated to as they're pushing through some of the core like commitments that they've made, whatever those commitments are. I think if you can show in a really clear way, point A to point B, inclusive of the questions or the things that you think you like are the middle ground that are gray area that you have no idea about that you're hoping to figure out with between point A and point B to a board, they're going to understand it. Especially if you are doing the work to integrate DEI into your strategy so it's not separate and apart. It doesn't look like it's taking additional resources or capacity. It looks like it's embedded, because it should be, into the day-to-day operations of the organization that's going to propel it forward to more powerfully meet its goals. You sort of answered this question, but I think it's worth sort of being explicit about because I think often as senior leaders, you are the bridge between a lot of different worlds, be it, you know, the philanthropic world, be it your board, be it your staff, be it your, you know, the, your clients. And, you know, and I think that can be a tricky place to be, particularly because we are all in this learning journey, right? And none of us has all of the answers. And so I'm just wondering are there any sort of tips, tools, tactics that you would recommend with respect to like how you start to bridge the gap between very different stakeholders and different, you know, different levels of being on the journey, as you say? Yeah. I think it's easier when people like know each other. Yeah. Right. So like if your board is this like mysterious veiled group of individuals behind the curtain, Let's like pull back the curtain, invite board members to like be in your organization. If it's a remote organization, like host them for lunch and learns, have them share like what they're doing. Also, this is like low budget professional development for all you learning and development folks out there. Like how do you actually get your board to actually contribute to the broader growth and development of your staff and your team? And hopefully board members are going to be excited about that and be engaged in that. But building that trust across colleagues, your board members, your senior leaders doing the same thing, I think is really valuable. And so that's step one. So low hanging fruit, because it's then easier to have difficult conversations with people with whom you have trust. And so I say, you know, there are definitely trainings that support just fluency and people having the same like core baseline knowledge and vocabulary that I think can be an org-wide initiative, regardless of where you are in your journey, and acknowledging that as a facilitator or trainer to say, I know that there are people at various stages. And what our goal here is today is to support foundational knowledge building that will support us as an organization and really propelling the work forward with shared understanding together. I think that makes sense. I think having real conversations starting at the recruitment stage, if you're able to, about where you are as an organization in terms of your DEI journey, what your commitment is, and setting the expectation that it's going to be a part of your commitment as a part of your role to work there is really helpful. And then having some real conversations with staff who are already there about like why the organization is making the commitment, what the goals are, and how they can get involved initially to shape that vision is really valuable as well so that this becomes something that everyone is bought into, everyone feels ownership of, and then integrating it into your performance management processes to make sure that you're holding people accountable to those metrics as well. Because again, if you're not measuring it, it may it becomes easier at least to actually not be done for people not to be held accountable to doing it and for it to fall on the few if it's the few that are really committed to this and those may not be the decision makers they may not be the people who actually have the ability to make change they might be the influencers the strong in numbers mm. the people who are actually doing the work and what you want is 
you know, for all folks to be invested and be able to actually shift and change the culture of an organization. And unfortunately, if you do not have buy-in from your senior leadership, you're not going to be able to move forward fully to maximize your potential. You'll hit a wall at a certain point and you're going to get frustrated. And guess what? Rightfully so. It is, mm-hmm. it is hard work for mm-hmm. everyone. But the last thing I ever want for anyone is to be kind of like on their own doing this work because it is lonely work. Like period, even with your, when you're in a group of people as a senior leader who's storing some of this work. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, reach out to your other GEI professionals in this space. Make sure that you have thought partners outside of your organization, especially if you're a senior director of diversity, equity, and inclusion or a chief equity officer and build that community so you have strategic thought partners outside of your organization, as well as working to leverage the amazing humans in your organization to do the work. Yeah, gosh, there's so much. But, you know, we're wrapping up now, but I think a lot of what you're saying is simple but not easy. Right. You know, it's it's simple to think about, like, well, yes, we should be bringing people into the conversation. We should be aligning. We should be, you know, having the tough conversations. We should be getting to know each other and... You know, and I think some of these processes very much support that. And, you know, in the like, I think the theme is loud and clear that as a senior leader, you must carve out the time to be intentional about that. Yeah. It's not just going to happen like magic. Unfortunately, I have not yet identified the magical spell to do that. You let me find it. It would make my consulting easier. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have as many clients. Right. I know. Simple, (laughs) simple, but not easy is right. And I think starting like any major project by breaking it down into bite-sized pieces and starting to introduce little things that people can do to be actively working to apply a diversity, equity, inclusion lens or thinking about ways that they could be doing it better. If you're already doing that work and acknowledging, you know, that you can always grow and do better is, is such a tremendous thing that so many organizations are not doing. And so you're always going to have folks on the opposite side of the spectrum that are like way far ahead of the curve doing it, or maybe a couple people in your organization that are ahead of the curve and already doing it. And so how do you leverage their expertise? How do you learn from them is always the question I'm, I'm asking folks to ask. And also just like giving yourself a little bit of grace to be intentional, to stick, take a step back and to create kind of those benchmarks and understand what the needs are to really achieve them in the same way you do strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Again, it should be integrated within your work. And so if you're doing it as a part of your strategic planning and pushing your senior leadership and your teams to actively be working to integrate this into their benchmark goal setting, into their project planning that you're already hopefully doing with the rest of your work, this should, this should start to feel more natural. And then it will be about asking yourself these questions, you know, whenever you're in your check-ins. That's yeah. a week of practice that you can start. Yeah. Yes, the the words that kind of are rattling around in my brain right now is intentional and process, right? So none of this happens overnight, and it's sort of incremental baby right. steps to, towards change, right? And we're all again, we're all on this journey. We're at different places and stages, and there's always something new to learn. And so much of this, you know, we're even putting language to for the first time. So this is it's exciting. It's also sometimes really scary for folks that they're bringing a conversation that they maybe had in their personal life actively, but not necessarily in their workplace. There's a lot of stress and pressure that it can place mm-hmm. on people who are really active and passionate about this work in the workspace. And it's risky sometimes too. So lots to think there, but how do we create a positive organizational culture that allows for 
difficult conversations is something you should be doing, whether or not those difficult conversations are about racial equity Mm -hmm. or if they're about working in support of the mission or the vision of the organization and providing an opportunity for junior level staff to share their feedback. All of those things are a part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you are doing DEI work, whether you know it or not. It's just about whether or not you're doing it well. Love it. Love it. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. We'll make sure to put all of your info in the show notes for folks who are listening who want to get in touch with you and share in the wisdom. So thank you so much. And we are definitely going to have you back because we have all the other things to talk about. Wonderful. Excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 